pull out your sermon insert, it should say Galatians 5, the fruitful life on the front, and you might be wondering why is that? We concluded the fruit of the Spirit last week. You are partially correct. We did, but uh, this morning we're going to be looking at Jesus, our King, our Savior, who is the fruitful one. We're going to be seeing how he is the fulfillment the fruition of all aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. And so if you compare and contrast your insert with weeks past, you'll notice that the one aspect of the fruit that we were studying was in red as we were going. The week of love, it was, love was red and the rest were black. Today, they're all in red because we are talking about Jesus, the one who is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And so... Um, With that, our our study is going to be confined to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah 11. And um, I'm looking forward to this. It's a wonderful prophecy. Centuries before Jesus. Detailing with specificity the coming of our Lord Jesus. So, wasn't sure how I was going to read the text, but let's just go ahead, um, as is our custom here, let's stand for the reading of God's word. I'm just going to read all verses 1 through 11 of Isaiah chapter 11. As we jump into this. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox." The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Home. Home. It seems to be a repeated theme in Christmas carols and our Christmas season. A season that seeks to be a time of belonging. I'll be home for Christmas. Maybe you have Bing Crosby or Michael Buble singing in your head right now. Mariah Carey's Christmas, baby, please come home. Christmas, lots of people around. Christmas, baby, please come home. 
Barry Manilow's rendition, his voice, as beautiful as it is. Oh, there's no place like home for the holidays. It's all around us in this season. College students even, or young professionals will speak of going where for, home, for Christmas? Going home for Christmas. Home, sweet home. It's because home is vital, isn't it? A sense of no home or no belonging is often strange at best or disorienting, even unhealthy. And then you compound all of that with some of the fact that some of us have had turbulent upbringings. Maybe we struggle when we hear those lyrics, there's no place like home for holidays because you're thinking, yeah, I'd rather be somewhere else. And at a deeper level, much of humanity, our human project has been a project in attempting to establish home, to make belonging, to make peace on earth, maybe even to force home, make utopia now, peace on earth now, shalom right this instant. But they've all ultimately failed, haven't they? Whether communism, socialism, various communities right now centered on gender ideologies or, or whatever stripe of politics you're in favor of and on and on, they have and will ultimately all fail without a good, just, and perfect ruler. A good, just, and perfect king Human attempts at utopia are flawed because of sin, because, well, the human part of human attempts at peace now. We even sang about it. In the third song we sang, His Mercy is More, I caught it this morning as I'm singing up there. What patience would wait as we constantly roam? What father so tender is calling us home? The gospel is about home. The Christmas story is about home, but not in a way that you might think at first. Isaiah 11 is a common passage in this Christmas season, this Advent season, and it's going to remind us of home, all caps, real home, true belonging, not superficial Christmas season home, not man-made attempts of peace and home on earth, but it holds out for us True belonging, because it holds out for us the future for all of us in Jesus. And so in connection with this series, if you're new to New City, I welcome you in the name of Jesus. We've just been completing a series from Galatians 5 on the fruit of the Spirit. So in connection to that, and in connection with this Christmas Eve morning in which we're remembering the incarnation and the birth of Jesus, I want us to see that Isaiah 11 is showing us Jesus Christ is the fruitful king who reigns over everything and calls all peoples to trust in him. Isaiah 11 is holding that out as a banner. The word is in our text. I'm going to show you in just a moment. Like a banner over all of our lives that Jesus is the fruitful one. He is the fruitful king, perfectly embodying all the attributes of the fruit of the spirit that we've been looking at. But he does so not as a normal person, but as a king, perfectly ruling now. Our job, the job of all peoples everywhere, turn and trust in Jesus. 
the prophet Isaiah, if you're, you're new to Isaiah, he's writing, like I said, 700 plus years before the coming of Jesus, before the king that he sees in this text. Seven centuries before Matthew 1 or Luke 1 and 2. In Isaiah's time, he, Israel, is being, they're, they're being invaded. They're being invaded by the Assyrian army. You can read about it in the Kings and the Chronicles. He comes up later in Isaiah. It's the name Sennacherib. He is the, the ruler of the Assyrians. And surprise, it should be no surprise, the Assyrians were a brutal people. They are ruthless, relentless invaders. Isaiah is seeing this as the Assyrian army with Sennacherib at its head knocking on the doors of Israel and Judah. And the, the question is, what are we going to do? Is there any hope? Do we have a king that can defend us? God has said some things about our rule and our place on earth. Are we going to make it? Isaiah's answer is yes, but not in the way you think. Some of the prophecy is actually just going to be, no, no, you're going into exile. But there is hope. You do have a king, but you won't understand it until the manger in Bethlehem. You won't understand it until the cross on the hill of Calvary and the empty tomb where the stone is rolled away. And so, as we walk through this passage, I'm going to, to show us, I hope, how wonderful Jesus is and the home that he offers to us in him and his people. So as we do that, we're going to see that the triune God of the scriptures, the triune God appointed a new king who reigns over a new world by making a new people. So first, let's look at this new king. I'm getting this from verses one through five. We're going to spend most of our time here in verse one, especially. The triune God appoints a new king. Verse one, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Uh, let's start with the, the word shoot. We sang uh, one of the early uh, Christmas hymns we sang this morning called it a rod. It's a shoot. Think of, think of like a, a living twig. A, the stem of, of, of a plant is coming out. It's, it's a shoot. Life from seeming lifelessness, even though it's small. And it's a, it is a stump. It's a cut off, an axed down stump. And there's a little bit of life, vegetation coming from this stump. And from that will come fruit, life anew. New life from seeming hopelessness. I'm going to make two observations here from verse 1, both connected to stump. First, stump should immediately catch our eye because before Isaiah chapter 11 came Isaiah chapter yeah, 10. Good. Not a trick question. Chapter 10. Now, I didn't put it in here. I, we, we printed before. I, I decided I was going to do all this. But all of chapter 10, the latter half ends with a bunch of cut down trees. Do you know that? A lot of stumps. What are they? All the evil nations. All of humanity in its pride and arrogance cut down. Stumps, ruin, destruction, as far as the eye can see, nothing but stumps. Let me just read the last verses for you. The two last verses of chapter 10. Behold the Lord God of hosts, the God of angel armies. He will lop the bows with terrifying power. The great in height, hewn down. 
the lofty brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. It's this picture of all nations, all governments, all worldviews, all ideologies not in line with the God of Holy Scripture getting leveled, cut down by the God of Scripture. Reject God, get axed. And that's the image, and that's where Isaiah 11 opens, is stump galore. But wait, what's that? Little shoot coming from the stump that is Jesse. Hope is not lost. Ray Ortland, pastor and commentator. I, I like this quote so much, I put it on the back of the sermon insert and I put it on the front of your worship book. You can find it either way. I, I want to read this to you. He summarizes this well. I don't want us to miss the point that is the stump. Ray Ortland says, the structure of Isaiah's thought in chapter 11 is intricate. But his central focus is clear. At the close of chapter 10, what do we see? The infestation of human pride like a vast forest cut down. God swings his axe and the whole evil system falls. Bare stumps as far as the eye can see. No branches waving in the wind. No birds flitting around. No life, no movement, no sound. The world is dead. But wait, something new appears. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. From one stump, a little shoot grows and becomes a branch and bears fruit. And the fruit it bears is a whole new world. Isaiah is thinking of a little boy born in obscurity more than 2,000 years ago now, with no status but lineage in a failed ancient dynasty. And he is the only one who can save us from ourselves. Isaiah 11.1 is Jesus. It's always been Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. He is the shoot, the little branch, the little living shoot from the stump that is Jesse. And that's my second observation. I want us to notice that it's the stump of Jesse. This is where we get the identity of this shoot. His identity is king. It's king shoot. How do we know this? Well, Jesse, if you're new to the the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, Jesse is the father of King David. David though flawed, was God's chosen king. He was called the king after God's own heart. And he becomes the king with whom all subsequent kings are compared. As you're reading through the kings and the chronicles, it's like, will such and such be faithful and good like King David? It's this repeated refrain. But notice... We're not told by Isaiah that there's a shoot that's going to come from the stump of David. Though that would have been accurate and true, and it is elsewhere. No, we're told that Jesus, the king, is going to be a shoot from the stump of Jesse. It's this like little extra literary device being used by Isaiah because Jesse was once the father of the great king. Jesse has king offspring. 
And like he had the great King David, there's going to be one from him even greater than David. There's going to be a better David come from this stump. A better son, superior to King David. Why? Because this shoot is the true king. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And I've given it away already, but spoiler alert, the king is the Lord Jesus. He is the king and the ruler of the entire world. He is the greater David. He is the true king. He is the righteous king. He is the shoot from the stump of Jesse. And Jesus is the only hope of deliverance from the Assyrians, from the Babylonians, from our sin, from our death, from judgment, and from hell. Who can save us from ourselves? Who can rescue us from sin? The shoot from the stump of Jesse. And his name's Jesus Christ. But he's not just a normal man. Verses two through five go at great lengths to show us that this isn't just another man. This is not just a normal king. He is wholly other. Look with me at verse two, and here's where we get some connection specifically back to the fruit of the spirit. Because this king is closely associated with the spirit. Verse two, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He is king. And he's king full of the spirit. The spirit is called all sorts of things, given given all sorts of attributes here. He's the spirit of wisdom. Wisdom is just the, the, the capacity to have right judgment in all things. This king will be right in all of his judgments. And he's the king of understanding. That is that he's, he's able to see the heart of issues. He's wise and understanding. And those are the two things you want when it comes to the next two things, which are military in nature. Counsel and might. The spirit of counsel is the ability to devise a right plan. And might speaks of his ability to carry that plan through with power. He's a conquering king. A mighty king. A warring king king, but he's one with wisdom and understanding. And lastly, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. As a preacher, some things just have to be cut. And I'd love to drill down on the fear of the Lord here because it's reiterated in the next verse that whoever this king is, he's going to be all about fearing the Lord. His delight is fearing the Lord. But this is one of the things that had to get the cut. And so I just want to recommend, if you want to do a deeper study on what it means to fear the Lord, because it's commonly misunderstood, I would recommend Dr. Michael Reeves' book, Rejoice and Tremble. It's very short, very readable. Uh, This would give you a a great insight as to what it means to fear the Lord. But what he argues for, just a little snippet, is it's a trembling joy. It isn't all, but it's more than that that draws us to the king. Jesus is the fruitful king He's got the spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. This shouldn't surprise any of us if you've been here in the weeks leading up to this, because we've made every application to Jesus from the fruit. Whichever aspect of the fruit we were studying, we we brought it to Jesus, but now we're coming full circle. Jesus is the fruitful king, full of the spirit, without measure. He's the fruitful king. He's the new king 
that Isaiah sees here. Ruling in righteousness and truth and faithfulness. But this king goes on and make a new world. This is exciting. Second point here, verses six through nine. This is the whole section on wolf laying down with lamb, leopard with young goat, calf and lion. If, if So far, if you're like, these things don't go together, you would be correct. One of those things eats the other. But the picture here is peace, calm, a little child leading them, a kid playing with cobras. Not exactly sure what kind of snake the adder is, but it's not a good one. And his hand going in the den. No harm, no pain. Friends, what's going on here is Isaiah is now looking well into the future from his vantage point, but even future from where we are now. Now, this is where we can get off the tracks and why I think many of us struggle with the, the prophetic literature. Myself included until I, I think I understood what I'm about to share with you. I'm going to do it with a mountain. How many of us have been to the mountains? Anybody? Roger mentioned last week, we all like the mountains, okay? So the mountains are beautiful, they're glorious. If you've been to the mountains, whether east, west, glacier, the Tetons, California, Colorado, wherever you've been, maybe you've had this experience. At a distance, you are standing and looking, and all you see is mountain. It's big. It's wonderful. But as you're walking toward or driving toward that mountain, something begins to change. You recognize, wait a second, that's not just one mountain. Have you had this experience? Maybe you even get to the side a little bit and you notice like, oh, what I thought back there was one mountain. As I'm getting near, it's multiple mountains, multiple ridges, and sometimes there's a lot of distance between the ridges of the mountain. That wasn't just one mountain. Wow, that's cool. From your starting vantage point, it seemed like one object, one mountain. But as time went on, you got more knowledge and more awareness, you saw more clearly what was happening. Oh, there's distance between these mountaintops. What does this have to do with Isaiah? Prophetic literature in your Bibles operates the same way. Isaiah is describing what he sees in Isaiah 11, which is what? Mountain. But as time goes on, we as the reader and redemptive history unfolds, we start to recognize, oh, Isaiah is seeing mountain, but as we see more clear, there's multiple ridges to this mountain that Isaiah saw. Verses one through five, which we've just been looking at, the new king is mountain ridge one. But as time goes on, verses six through nine, he goes to describe something well beyond mountain one. From the side, verses five through six have been separated by at least 2,000 years to this point. Does that make sense? The king that he sees, the stump from the root of Jesse, is Jesus come in the flesh 2,000 years ago now. And verses 6 through 9, wolf laying down with lamb, is yet future to us. This is the new heavens, the new earth, what we sometimes call glory. Verses 1 through 5 and verses 6 through 9 are separated by thousands of years at this point, maybe more. The second piece is describing for us home. Six through nine is glory. And with that in mind, what a wonderful future, right? Those of us in Christ by faith, a new heavens and a new earth where these banners behind us are not just there 
though they do serve a, f- a function to block out some of the light. There, there's, there's more to them than that. They're describing where we're headed. I wear, wear our church name like a badge as we're going around. New City Church. Why? Because where I'm going. That's where we're headed. It's not just a nice sounding church. It's not, even, it's not just because it's cool and hip. No, no, it is the truth of where we're headed. In Jesus, you're headed towards glory. It's a new heavens and a new earth. A new city is going to come down and perfections, wolf and lamb will snuggle together. A leopard, instead of eating the goat, is going to lie down with it. Our children, I don't even know what this looks like, but kids are going to play and hold snakes, cobras even. Or as the signs say, God is going to be with us as our God, near. We'll see him with our eyes and he himself will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no mourning and crying anymore, no cancer, no suffering, no surgeries, no pain anymore because all of that was former things. And what happens to the former things? They pass away. We're going to have our faith made sight and we are going to see Jesus forever. So hold that, that's, that's your pillar, that's where we're headed, that's our future, that's the new home, it's not Christmas time. Baby, please come home. No, 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 it's, we're going to the home that Father, Son, and Spirit have secured for us, but it's even cooler. That home, where we're headed, has already broken in. Isaiah gives us that throughout his prophecy. But you should ask why. Prove it, Taylor. Because this all sounds cool. I can't wait to play with a cobra. I want to know what the heck an adder is. It'd be pretty sweet to see a cow and a bear graze together. How is that breaking in already? Well, we have to ask, what, what, what is going on here? What is it when a bear grazes with a cow? What's happened? A radical change in the bear's nature. We're talking about drastic change in the very makeup of creatures. I'm giving it away. Where do we see that already breaking in? You? Me? Let me show you a scripture, though. First, let's, let's go to Jesus. That's a good place to start. This is one of my favorite passages in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 4. It's in your, your sermon insert. Jesus tells us it's already started. Luke 4, verse 17, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, ding, 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 was given to Jesus. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. This should sound familiar or close. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Check this out. And Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. It's the ultimate Jesus mic drop. 
The prophet Isaiah that they've been waiting. Where is this king going to come from? Where is the shoot? Where is the one that the spirit will rest on? Jesus tells him. He reads it to him. Closes it up and says, it's me. Mic drop. I'm the one you've been waiting for. I am the one that the spirit rests upon. Isaiah's prophecy has begun. You remember Jesus preached, the kingdom is at hand, right? The kingdom is near. And he said that 2,000 years ago. When he walked the earth, his rule and his reign has begun. In the death and resurrection and now the reign of Jesus, we are forgiven, free, and restored. He is king and he's ruler now. Yes, we're headed towards this, but it's broken in now. It is underway I could say more here, but I'll say this. I'm not sure I believe that. And I don't know if you do either. Our lives would probably look a little bit different if we actually thought Jesus is the king now. Might give us a little bit more pep in our step. Maybe a, a humble, but, but a humble swagger. If Jesus is ruler I can walk into my office space and face my coworkers with pronouns in their bios and flags everywhere and very different thoughts about truth than I do. Why? Because Jesus is king of this place and he's my friend. I don't believe it sometimes. I think Jesus is king and he's ruling up there somewhere in invisible heavens and I'll get there someday, but I just gotta hold on and suffer right now. Anybody relate? No, 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 the stump has come, or the, the, the shoot from the stump has come. He's king. But not only do Jesus' own words confirm this, friends, experientially, I see it. One of the beautiful aspects of being able to stand at this place many Sundays and look out on a crowd is that I'm looking at, I don't know, I, I don't, I'm not good with numbers, 120, 140 miracles. Why will bear and cow walk together? How is the wolf and the lamb going to, to snuggle? Well, that's because their nature's changing. Well, guess what? I'm looking at 140 miracles in which nature has been changed. You've submitted to the lordship of Christ and you love Jesus and you treasure him. You didn't do that. The spirit did. Something changed in your heart. The spirit took your dead heart and gave you a living spiritual heart, allowing you to see the beauty and the glory of Jesus. You're a miracle, friends. I'm not telling you that as a self-help book. This is it's not some kind of pep talk. You are truly a miracle if in Christ by faith. Paul tells us. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It's literally just new creation. Friend, if you're in Jesus, new creation right there. Or his words in Colossians 1. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. I love looking at your faces, not just because you're all wonderfully good looking people, but because you're miracles. And you'll forget it by this afternoon that the living God has worked in your heart, a change of nature. One more thought here before we conclude in verse nine. The end of verse nine says, the, the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover 
the sea. What an amazing thought. Just like everything I've been saying, this is true now. This is a future reality in glory where everywhere we go is going to be knowledge of the Lord. But it's already underway. The knowledge of the Lord covering the earth like water covers the sea is happening. The good news of Jesus is spreading and taking over the globe. It got to us from a small band of men and women in the Middle East 2,000 years ago into a global movement where our holy book is the most sold book in all of history and there's not even a close second. My son Isaac, he's now eight and a half, but when he was two or three, I've, I've told this story before in smaller groups, so you might have heard this, but when he was two or three, he, he was taking a bath. He liked taking baths. And I was going off to, I, I think, a, a meeting or something, so I was in not this nice, but like nicer clothes, going to, to do something afterwards. And I, I turn around, we're, we're done with the, the bath, I pull the plugs, the water's draining, I turn around to grab the, the towel, and by the time I turn around to get him out and dry him off, I've got just naked three-year-old on me. He just jumped out and lands on me, soaking wet. And I say exactly that. I was like, oh, Isaac, I'm soaking wet. And what does a three-year-old do? He starts cackling. He loved it. He giggled at first, then cackled and became uncontrollable. What was interesting is he made this mental association between getting a rise out of dad and what dad said, and that is soaking. Dad is soaking wet. It's like a superlative that he just latched onto. And so for the next, uh, it actually still happens. They, they still use it. Isaac started attaching the word soaking to everything. I'm so soaking mad at you. I love you so soaking much, dad. I'm so soaking hungry. He didn't really understand it, but uh, the word covers is better understood as soaked, drenched. The knowledge of the Lord will drench the earth, soak the earth like waters cover the sea. Where we're headed, no matter where we turn, to the right or to the left, knowledge of the Lord, 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 Jesus, Lord. And it's already broken in now. Yes, our future is bright. The new heavens and the new earth will be glorious, far more glorious than I've even given you this morning. Heaven has broken in. And heaven broke in in a person. His name is Jesus. And we get to be a part of that story. So third and finally, as we come to the table, Jesus is not only the new king, he's not only reigning over a new world that is future but broken in, but he's done it by forming a new people. Verse 11. Oh, this is so good. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall all the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. The last word there. His resting place shall be glory. The word signal. This king from Jesse, Jesus Christ, will be a signal for the people. That's the word banner. A banner or signal or uh, standard. Now this is, this is gonna get past you maybe because we don't war anymore like they did. And our, it's hard for us moderns thinking about modern warfare to think about what's going on here. A banner is your giant pole with a flag on it with your team's colors and flag on it. 
Why is that important? Well, if you've seen any of the old, like, uh, I don't know, even Lord of the Rings, but like Lord, uh, old real movies where there's sword battle, when you're battling in war, things can get crazy. Things get wild. Arrows are shooting, swords are going on, especially if you get knocked down. When you get back up, you're like, where, where am I? Where's my people? Where's my team? Who am I fighting? Who am I supposed to stab right now? What you did is you looked for your banner. There they are. Okay, I gotta get back over there. The banner was a tool to show you to where to flock. Get here. We're being told that Jesus, the person that is Jesus the King, is the banner for everyone. There is no hope and no salvation for anyone except on the team of Jesus, flocking to his banner. Do you want safety? Jesus. Do you want to be on the winning team? Jesus. Freedom from bondage, anyone? Jesus. Forgiveness of sins? Jesus. Everlasting life with God. Flock to Jesus. All peoples are invited. You just need to recognize your need for a savior. That you need this king, the good king, the righteous and faithful King Jesus. And if you resist, your future is the stumps of Isaiah 10, the ax that is God's judgment. Come to the banner, please. Come to the standard, the signal, the hope of everyone. The Lord Jesus Christ. The last phrase of our text is that his resting place will be glorious. Word resting place is home. His resting place, his home, will be glory. And all those united to him, our home will be glory. And so friends, I invite you for the first time or the thousandth time, come home. Come to your resting place, Jesus. Come to the king and find true home, true belonging. It isn't out there. It's in a person, Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and reigning for you. Come to him at the table. And that's why we go to the table every week, friends. The communion table is a table of belonging, a table of home. It is a family Meal. This meal is for those who are Christians. If you're trusting in Jesus alone for salvation, you're not perfect, but you're honest, come to the table. You'll partake of bread symbolizing his body and, and, and take either red wine or white grape juice symbolizing his blood poured out for you. 